So good morning. I'm glad you all are awake. I want to take a moment. I did this a little bit last week, but you know, some of the things that I'm excited about Mansfield Bible Church, and the reason I'm excited is because as God's people get involved in Mansfield Bible Church, it creates a unity. It creates a oneness, a, a working together cause that we, that we share together in Christ Jesus. You know, when we talk about our mission at Mansfield Bible Church, we use three, word, three words, engage, connect, and impact. And so what I'm talking about is connecting that we learn to connect with one another. We do that in small groups and we, we do that in our Bible studies. We do that as we get together with one another. But one of the ways that we can do that is some for our men here this morning. Uh, first Saturday every month, we have a men's breakfast. It's an opportunity to come together and to connect and kind of encourage one another. But one of the things that's coming up and to really today is really the last day to sign up is our fall missions trip. Um, we have an opportunity to go down just outside of Grapeland, I forgot the little town that it's close by. There's a widow down there and her house is just in really bad shape. We're gonna have an opportunity to take a group of men and go down there and provide the supplies and be able to scrape and, and paint and try to get her house back up to par because uh, she, she doesn't have the resources or the ability to, to fix those things. So this morning, if, you, if you've been thinking about it, uh, right outside in the lobby, there's a place to sign up. Really encourage you to find a way to get involved at Mansfield Bible Church. Uh, you, you won't regret it. It's a, it's a great opportunity, and I thank God for every time and things that I get to do here at Mansfield Bible. So last week, I started a series in the Gospel of John dealing with doubt. One of the things I've realized in, in my own walk with God and in involvement in ministry for many years now I realize that we all deal with different aspects of doubt, that we begin to, begin to struggle, we begin to wonder, is God really there or is God really able to do certain things? Uh, and John takes this book, this gospel, and this morning, if you want, you can take your Bibles and turn to Gospel, gospel of John chapter one. We'll, that's where we'll be at. But John writes this letter to those believers whose faith have been began to, to, to falter. There have been false teachers beginning to travel and teaching different aspects of things that weren't true about who Jesus was. And we're about 50 years from the ministry of Christ at this time when John picks up pen to write. And uh, we're, he's addressing some of, those, some of those things that are going on in the church. And I thought about, I thought about my life. You know, I, I actually was one of those that uh, was in a Southern Baptist church and pastor preached and I walked an aisle and I received Christ. I was 11 years old. Uh, but one of the things I didn't do is I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't break away from some of the friendships I had. I didn't have any other friends that were Christians at the time. And so I kind of had that mentality, I'll just win them to Jesus or whatever. And, and actually over the next few years, I did things that to this day, I still, many of which I regret, I regret that time. And it was about my junior year, summer of between sophomore and junior year, I began to realize that if I really wanna be real about this relationship with God, I needed to do some things. I, need, I, needed to, I needed to break off some of those friendships. And some of the things I did were, were really painful. Like one, I quit, I quit playing football my junior year uh, because I didn't have anybody on the football team that I knew that was a Christian. And just some of the things we did on the football team and other areas of athletics. And I started getting involved in my youth group at church and, and started meeting other, other students that were like me and, and wanting to know God and grow in their faith and played basketball there at the church league and so forth. And, and then it was out of high school, about, my, about a year out of high school. I'd been at college for about a year. And, and uh, I began to really go through a, a horrible time of doubt. 
You know, I'd heard messages, you know, where a pastor would talk about, you know, our lives. And if our lives didn't look a certain way, then, then maybe you need to be saved. And, and I can remember sermons by, by the pastor that would talk about, you know, several of us in this room aren't, aren't saved. And, and I was convinced I was one of them. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe that's why I'm still struggling the way I am. And I was going through all those kinds of, kinds of things. I was also in, in college, and I was beginning to hear other things about what people believed in other religions, what they believed about Jesus, and he was a good teacher, and he was a good prophet, those kinds of things. And I was like, wow, am, am I, do I really believe this? Am I delusional? Am I just kind of hoping for, or is, is this real? And I remember as a, as a student, I was pretty good about really searching the scriptures. I became a, 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 a real good student of, of the Bible. I mean, I began to read it. I was just reading it. I was looking for passages and, and things, trying to figure out, okay, God, where can I hang that I'm saved, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved? I read in First John, you know, that we may know that we are saved. And, and I was like, gosh, you know, God, I don't, I don't know. How do I know? So I was, I, I would, I would start looking at the gas station I was working at at the time. And I, we had this little windows. Back in the day, some of you won't know what I'm talking about here, but a lot of you will. But back in the day when we had full service, y'all remember that? You used to go out and put air in the tire, check the fluids in the car, wash the window, pump the gas. They, you know, they roll down their window about this much. And I was in Denver, so it would be cold sometimes. They roll down this much and kind of slide their card or their money or whatever. And you're sitting there just shivering, trying to wash their window. I remember that. But I would Stand there at the, I was standing there at the door and I would start going, you know, God, you know, God, if, if, if I'm saved, you know, let it be kind of a, you know, a blue or green Volkswagen. I'd pick out something, you know, a car coming in, it'd be a Jaguar. I was on the, you know, high end part of the neighborhood in Denver down by Cherry Hills, if you know Denver. And, you know, there was a Jaguar. Going, oh, okay, God, you're thinking high end cars. So then, you know, I'd say, okay, what about a black Mercedes? I mean, that seems pretty common, you know, and then here come a, you know, Volkswagen, you know, or something. And, you know, remember, or Datsun B210, if you remember those, those little things, the Bumblebee one, you know, we see those come in. And I kept trying to just figure out what God was thinking. I, I remember one time a pink Cadillac rolled in on, you know, Barry Kay on the back, the window that this lady got in this. I'm like, gosh, God, and, you know, the thing of it is, is I realized in that day that even if I got the right car and the right color, it wouldn't have been enough to eliminate my doubt. And I began to, I began to search the scriptures and the passages. And one of those passages is the one that we're in today, uh, in John chapter 1. And if you will, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter, chapter 1. John is writing to address some of the doubts that were affecting the early church at this time because of false teachers. And what John does is he describes a logos, and we're gonna look at that word here in a second, as not only God's agent in creation, but that he is God. And he becomes incarnate, revealing and redeeming. And it's really important for us to, to ground our faith in, into that which is the very crux of our belief, the person of Jesus Christ. So we see in, in, in John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The very first thing you wanna stop and take a moment there is to look at that term word. That word in the Greek is logos. We get, the, we get that from, from the Greek word. And it literally means word. I know that's great revealing, right? 
but that's how that was usually used. But it had a, had a little bit of another meaning in that culture. It also had the idea of reason. It, 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 gave an, it gave an expounded on reason in the way that one would think. In fact, in Greek thought and philosophy, reason here in this idea of logos reflects on the, on their, the Greeks' uh, conviction that deity cannot come into contact or direct contact with matter or with the material world. Um, they would see that there was this controlling reason of the universe that kind of ruled and, and gave meaning to all things. So this reason gave, gave purpose and reason. If you ever study uh, uh, philosophy or Greek philosophy, you start seeing that where they're trying to give meaning and reason to, to things. In fact, the idea of this word, even the idea of, of reason, was in the purest and most general concepts of ultimate intelligence and reason. And that a lot of times it was called divinity or referred to as, as God. And a lot of people would say that maybe some of our Greek, the Greek mythology would come from these ideas of, of trying to, to identify this reason, this intelligence, this this, this thing there. In ancient Greek, usage of this uh, reason or wisdom or truth would, would say that it would come from God or from a deity. And until it does, we just must wait. And it's interesting that it's John that takes this word logos and he uses this word logos showing a person of action. Think about that. A person of action in the work of the historical Jesus Christ. That would blow their minds. How can, how, can, how can God come in contact with matter? Remember, last week we talked about some of the false teachings that were hitting the church. And they were trying to explain Jesus. One, one view of Gnosticism was that, you know, Jesus was just, his body was just like a phantom. It wasn't real. It wasn't physical. It wasn't material. And it was a spirit revealing to God, of God. And yet that's not what John is, is identifying here. Or Serentius who, who thought that Jesus was a man like you and I. But at his baptism when the dove came on him, the Christ, the spirit came upon him. And that spirit revealed in him, uh, revealed to others, did miracles and teachings and so forth. And then left him before his crucifixion. Which were major contradictions to the very foundation of our faith. And Apostle John takes up pen and he writes this gospel and he describes Jesus Christ. He says he is, he is God's active word. Man, he's God's anointed one. He is saving revelation for fallen humanity. In other words, God has brought Jesus into this world and he's, and he's brought him here as a revelation to humanity of God's redemption. And so you see in John chapter 1, when he says, in the beginning was the word, that, that word there, beginning, has an idea of immeasurable past. It's not talking about a focal point, but it's talking about immeasurable past. If in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, when there was creation taking place, he was there. Before creation, he was there. That the word was, was there in the beginning with God. Whenever God was there, God, the, the, the word was as well. And then John goes on and he begins to reveal, he begins to reveal these different things about, about the word, about the Logos. And he says, and the Logos was with God. That's a, that's a great term. I, I like that term because what it does is it brings out that not only was he there in the beginning, that in this immeasurable past, whenever you find God, he was there with God. But the picture is that he was with God. And that word with has an idea of kind of an intimate relationship 
It wasn't just that he was kind of involved, but that he was in intimate relationship with God. There was a uniqueness, and I think that's important for us to understand. And John lays that out in his gospel over and over again when Jesus says, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear the Father say, I say. And describes the oneness in which, in which their relationship was. It's the closest relationship that you can, can, you can describe with, within regards to God. And then he says in the last part, and the word was God. The essence of deity, that he's fully God. In a minute, he's gonna talk about this, this logos becoming flesh. And the picture is that this, this logos, this, the word of God, this word, this person, Jesus Christ, was God. Now think about that for a moment. What that means is there was never a moment he wasn't God. That would blow Serenthius' idea out that he was teaching within the church that, that Christ came on him at baptism. No, when he was in the when he was in the gray in the manger, there he was. He was God. When he was hanging on the cross, he was God. When he died and he rose again, that he'd be the first fruits of those who would believe. He was God. There was never a moment he wasn't God. In the beginning was was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's very foundational to our faith. I often tell people when they say, Greg, I think you're, you're, you're believing in a lie, you're believing in not truth. I just simply say, show me how Jesus wasn't the word. Oh, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good prophet. He was a good man, kind of found his way in this world and, and he's showing us the way. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what those said that, that actually saw him and, and walked with him and heard him and touched him. That's not what they said. They said Jesus was God. And so the word was God, and there he is in the beginning. There was never a moment he wasn't God. And then there in verse 2, it's almost like he's restating it, but at the same time, I think there's so much meaning there. In verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. Now, he did something here. He's talking about the Logos, and what he did is he turned him into a person. I don't know if you caught that. He used a personal pronoun, he. He's a person. We're not talking about a concept. We're not talking about an idea. We're not talking about a philosophy. We're talking about a person who is God. And he was there in the beginning with God. In fact, in other words, this person was already there. When God created, he was there. When God was in existence, he was there. He was always there. He was with God. And so as John continues to to identify this Logos. He begins to address some of the critical factors of their faith. He moves on in verse three and he says, and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I like this term because it describes that Jesus was God's agent in creation, that Jesus was a creator, that the word created in verse three, all things, he created all things, whether they're material or spiritual, he created them. They did not exist without him. And then when it's that term, were made, literally means came into being. The Greek tense in that word there doesn't allow it to be a process like somehow God kind of just wound it up and let it go, but that it was an event that when he created, God created and it took place. When God said, let there be light, you know what happened? There was light. When God breathed air into the nostrils of humanity and the nostrils of man, there was life. 
When God spoke, it came into being. All things were created by him. In fact, it tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By our very ability to, 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 to breathe today, by our ability to go in and do our jobs, he holds it together because he's the creator. And John identifies this Logos as, a, as the one who is in the beginning, and he's with God, and he is God. And he's a person, and he also reveals he's a creator. And by him, all things are held together. In, verses, in verse four, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's interesting that 36 times in this gospel, it uses the word life, more than any other New Testament book. And as we go through this book and and we hit spots as we go through it, you're gonna see that term over and over again. And when he talks about life here, he's talking about the very essence of life. He's talking about eternal life, not just this creator who created a physical life and gave us life, but a, a creator who also gives us eternal life. He's the very essence of life. If you remember in John chapter 11, we'll look at it when we get there. And Jesus comes to a tomb and in the tomb is this man by the name of Lazarus. Around them, there's others who are, who are wailing and crying. His sisters have doubt. And they're sad and they're broken because they lost their brother. And Jesus walks up to the tomb. And he says to the tomb, in the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And the scriptures tells us he did. Out comes Lazarus. I'm, I would imagine there's excitement and bewilderment. Like, what had just happened? How is this possible Who is this man that calls the dead to life? And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no life outside of him. Just as as God in Christ breathed into humanity life, he gives us eternal life to those who would believe. He is the life. It tells us in Colossians chapter three, verses three and four, one of my favorite passages in all scripture. It says in Colossians chapter three and four, you have died. He's talking about dying to our old self and living to our new, living who we are in Christ. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He tells us where our life is. It's hidden with Christ in God. There's many times when I'm sharing my faith or over the years I've talked to people, I just want them to know what I know about Christ. I want them to know about my life and and that who I am in Christ. And and I want to explain that and I want them to understand. And the reality is my life is hidden in Christ because he is my life. And so I end up telling them about Jesus because I don't have anything I can tell them. I can't tell them, well, I went through the 12 steps of, you know, of doctrine and I got to this level and, and then I did, you know, Two years of service and then I did, you know, this much and I got this degree and, and I finally attained. I have nothing because my life is his. My life, what I have, is hidden in Christ. In fact, he goes on and then in verse four, he says, when Christ, and I love this, hang on with me for a second, okay? When Christ, who is your life? 
When Christ, who is your life, the Apostle Paul lays it out, there is not a life outside of Christ. There is no hope of eternal life. There is no hope of, of grace, no hope of, of God's love, of the love of our creator. Christ, who is our life, that's all I have. When I walk on this stage this morning, that's all I bring. I, I, I am imperfect, I am problematic as much as the next human. And maybe even more so than many. But my life is Christ. And he, by his grace, holds me in his bosom. He keeps me. And it says, who, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, everything I have, everything that I attain, it's not necessarily in, in the car I drive or the house I live in or the bank account that I have. It's in who Christ is, who is my life. John, back in John chapter one, he's, he says, in him was life and this life was the light of men. That here came life, the saving power of God, the anointed one, the deliverer, has stepped into humanity and he's, and he's providing life to all who would be, believe and this is the light of men. And that's what he says in, in verse, three, uh, verse four, in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not comprehend or overcome it. It's a clear manifestation or revelation of God's righteousness. It's a revelation of, of God's salvation, a demonstration of his love and of his mercy towards us. That, that the light would shine to, to all of humanity, to men and to women and to children and to the old and to the young, to those who are sick and to those who, who may not have the best of life. It's the same message. It's the same God revealing to each and every that light that shines into darkness. In, in Titus chapter two, verse 11, another one of my favorite verses. For the grace of God, and it's referring to Jesus here, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, to all. In fact, it really says, to the, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. And that word appear is a unique word. When I, I've been to the Grand Canyon several times. I love the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been there, everybody should see the Grand Canyon. It's an amazing piece of God's handiwork, right? But whenever I go, I want to go at, at, at when the sun comes up. Because it's so beautiful as the, as the light shines out over the, out over the horizon. And when you do that, you get there early, everybody sets their alarms. I mean, you'll find tons of people there all sitting on the, the rim of the, of the canyon watching for the sun to come up. And you start to see the sun as it comes up over the horizon and you see a ray of light shining into the darkness. And you see it begin to come up a little more, more of the, more of the sun, more of the rays begin to, to overcome the darkness and begin to, to shine in to the darkness. And as the sun comes up, all of a sudden there's, the darkness is gone. And that's what that word appears, that the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. It's the same picture here when, when, when the apostle John describes that his life, it's the light Unto men, it's the light of men. It's, it's, it's God's revelation revealing and shining into the darkness. And the darkness, it, it'll try to overcome it. It'll try to overwhelm it, but it couldn't. 
And as we live in a day where more and more and more that we begin to read, where the foundation of our faith is, is, is being attacked, we're more and more talking about that Jesus was just was a good teacher. He showed us the way. Where we need to find this energy and that Jesus was one of those that, that showed us the path, showed us that, how to use that energy that we might reach divinity. Those are lies. Jesus called himself the son of God. The apostle John who touched and held him said, in the beginning, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it's this one who has come and revealed the righteousness and the grace and of the love of the almighty creator, our God himself. There's not, not many paths. There's not many ways to believe and the darkness tries to overcome, but the light continues to shine. And if you jump down in verse 14, we'll come back to some of those verses here in a second. But you could jump down in verse 14. Probably John gives the most, the most significant revelation of, of the word. And it says in verse 14, and the word, the Logos, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we, we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That the, that the word, the logos, took upon himself flesh. That would have sent many of the Greek philosophers of the day and the Greek thought of a day would have sent them reeling. How can matter and, and such purity be mixed? How is that possible? There's no way. And yet John says, and the logos became flesh. He took upon himself the limitations of flesh. He grew tired. He became hungry. He suffered pain. And yet he dwelt among us. In fact, that word dwelt there is the idea to pinch a, pitch a tent. It was used in the Old Testament of the tabernacle, which was a, really a huge tent as they would move around. And they would, and they would use it of that tabernacle because that's where they met God. And what Apostle John is telling them is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was there. Here is God. In fact, it says, he goes on and he says, as of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. And he, in the early part of that, he says, and we have seen his glory. He has made him known. If you look down in verse 16, he goes on and he says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the right hand of the Father, and this is referring to Jesus at the right hand, he has made him known. You see, when John's writing about Logos here, he's talking about the expression that the Logos expressed himself in a human personality, that he was fully, fully God, fully man, that was visible, that was audible, and that was tangible. We could touch him. In his letter, First uh, John, the apostle Paul writes this, and just listen as I read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. John writing to, his, to the church, he says this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and he's referring to Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we have touched with our hands. Think about that. We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We've touched him with our hands concerning the word of life. 
He says, the life was made manifest. It was made known. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life. John is saying, we've seen it, we've heard it, and we're testifying. This is a firsthand account. This isn't someone, John didn't sit down and read some book and come up with a new theology. John had, had heard the Son of God. He had touched the Christ, the anointed one. And now he's testifying to us through his, through his written word. He's testifying to us this truth. And he's testifying to, to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, made known, was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Apostle John saying, we're writing these things to you. We're making them known to you that you too might have fellowship. That this, this Logos became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld him. John draws this picture in marvelous fashion of who Jesus is. It is in the word of God, in human flesh, the son of God with the glory of God in him, showing humanity who God is. You see this Logos who became flesh, the son of God. He perfectly revealed the glory of God and his grace for humanity. It was him. And it's amazing to me how many times that I go back to passages like this and I remind myself why I believe what I believe. I've given up many things to believe. And this is the Christ. It's interesting, if you go back in verse nine, talks about the true light, the one who's revealing this, this revelation, that, this manifestation that's revealing the righteousness and the salvation of God. True and genuine, it's real, that came into the world. It says in verse nine, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Here he is, enlightening, revealing, demonstrating God's love for us. And I think in the next two verses are some of the saddest verses in all of scripture. It, it, it sinks my heart every time I read them. Verse 10 says, he, referring to the word, or Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Here was the creator, here's the one who spoke into being, here's the one that, that the creation had its very own obligation, if you will, to recognize and they didn't. You know, there's, there's so much that gets taught today. I mean, you know, Mother Earth. And oh, I believe in taking care of our Earth. Don't misunderstand. But it isn't through the Earth that I find divinity or the path. We're through the sun, we're through the, through the, through the energy that's all going through all of creation. I have conversations every now and then with someone who who kind of leans that way and believes that way. And I tell him, I said, no wonder. Yes, I, I understand why you feel that. Why? Because God gave us, put us in the garden to, to tend to it, to care for it, to rule in it. Yeah. 
So when we connect with the earth, when we connect with these things, I get it, but God also told us something else. He told us not to worship the creation rather than the creator. And it's understand, it needs to be understood that, that here was the creator of the universe, the very being who brought them into existence in their midst, and they did not know him. In fact, it says in verse 11, and it doesn't get much better yet, it says in verse 11, he came to his own, it's referring to the Jewish people, he came to his own, his, and his own people did not receive him. He came to the Jewish nation who had the scriptures, who were looking for the Messiah, who were looking for the anointed one of God, for the deliverer, who would set them free. And he came to them, and he, they didn't receive him either. In fact, I realized as I was going through this again over the last week or so, that how many people do walk away from the creator and they walk away from the son of God. They walk away from the one who is revealing the love of God, revealing the redemption that's available. And that that is really, that is really more of the commonplace that really those that would believe seem to be more and more sometimes even the minority. And yet, verse 12 gives us hope. The very first word says, but. But in contrast to those who didn't recognize him, to those who didn't receive him, to those that, that walked away, he says, but to all. I love words like all. It means all, old and young. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter their, their financial status. It doesn't matter their, their influence or affluence. It doesn't matter what they've accomplished and they possess. But to all who did receive him. Look what it says. To all who did receive him. Who believe in his name. He gave the right. And that word right literally means privilege. He gave the, the right or the privilege to become the children of God, to become part of his family, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The gospel is God's plan. The gospel is God's work. He's asked us simply to believe. You know, as I, as I think back to those days when I was struggling so bad, it still gets me to the core sometimes. I can almost remember the, the day and the circumstances. I was going up to my room and shutting my door and I'd get on my knees in my bed and I'd have my Bible open and I'd be reading passages. I remember reading the young rich ruler. Remember him, he came to Jesus, said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep these commandments. He goes, I've done that, which that's a whole nother subject. But then, then Jesus said, well, if you wanna be perfect, sell everything, come follow me. And he went away sad. And I remember as a young boy reading that going, well, God, I'll, I'll give you everything. I didn't have much, I mean, but I'll give you everything. And I remember just struggling and looking at these passages and, and I'd read about Jesus and I'd read over and over again, like where it says right here, to them, or to who believe in his name. 
to all who did receive him, who believe in his name. And I kept reading this word believe over and over again, that the work of God is to believe in the one who sent him. And I kept going through that and I'm like, well, God, I believe. And I'm still struggling with, 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 this, with this doubt. And I'm like, God, I, I believe you. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I, I believe what he did. I believe that you'll save me. And I was struggling with that doubt and still walking through that. And I remember I finally said, well, I've done everything he asked. He asked me to believe. And I remember, I'd never forget the words that came out of my mouth. I said, well, God, then if I die and go to hell, it's your fault. And the reality was, it was the first time I'd ever come to a place where I simply believed. I didn't need a psychedelic Volkswagen to pull in the gas station. I didn't need some sign from God he'd already revealed. I didn't need to, to, to have something else to put in my pocket to say I'm saved. I simply needed to believe. And for him, that was enough. That was enough. And he accepted me right there in my belief. The Bible tells us how do we overcome the world? How do we gain victory in this world? It tells us in 1 John, 1 John 5, by our faith, by our belief. Dear people of God, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? The revelation of God, the redeeming one, the deliverer, the anointed one. Now some of you may be here this morning and maybe you're struggling with tremendous amount of doubt. And this morning you came in here and you're just, you're just struggling. Or maybe you came here this morning and you don't believe. You're not, you're not sure about this salvation. You're not sure about this gospel we're talking about. Well, I want you to know that here in a minute I'm gonna pray, but when I'm done, I'm gonna go sit down here. And you don't have to come during a song or anything, but after the service, if you want someone just to, just to pray with you, if you wanna know about, about this gospel, this good news of salvation, I'll, I'll be here. I'll just be here waiting on you. I won't be at the back, so I'll tell you right now, good to see you all. Love, love visiting you. I won't get to shake your hand. But if you're here this morning, you want someone to, just to pray with you, just to hug you, just to share the good news, I'll be here, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I pray, God, that your spirit would just move among us, your people. Lord, I know we come for all different reasons. We have different struggles. We have uncertainties. We have doubts. Father, sometimes we just, we just want to know for certain. And, and it isn't until we're just falling into the everlasting arms of our God that we realize that that's enough. And it's enough simply to believe you, to take you at your word, and to know that, that you're able to keep us to the very end. Father, I don't rest in, in my intelligence and in my abilities or in my position, possessions. I rest in you. And it's there, Father, I find peace. I find comfort and I find joy. God, speak to us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.